the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Finelli. I'm Chip Patterson. It's a mailbag day. A reminder, if you want to get in a question for a future mailbag episode, there's a couple ways to do it. Number one, you can go and leave us a five-star review, and in that review, you can put your mailbag question. Also, we will solicit them on Twitter. You can follow the show at Cover 3 Podcast, and you can uh, chime in there as well. Before we get to the mailbag... Uh, We will continue because the content is too good to follow every twist and turn out of Knoxville. And I got to tell y'all, I'm a little bit surprised at how things seem to be accelerating. You know, we even said on this podcast, given the trouble that's going on with this Tennessee athletic department, this AD search may take a long time. And this head coaching search may take a long time. Kevin Steele is the interim coach guiding the program for now with a little bit of a skeleton staff course a couple assistants already being fired but Tennessee on Thursday introduced UCF athletic director Danny White uh, as its new athletic director and I would say that the response uh, from what I could tell was was very positive um And then we're starting to hear Danny White already seems to have some head coaching candidates in mind. And in fact, some of his pitch to Tennessee was to say, I I can speed this up. So uh, number one, curious to hear y'all's reaction to the hire of Danny White. But number two, am I wrong to think that we might not have this long drawn out Tennessee in limbo situation? Because all of a sudden, I'm I'm kind of expecting that we actually might have a, a Tennessee head coach. I'll say this. I think that we might have a new Tennessee head coach for the start of spring practice. I we Maybe. Uh, I think that with Danny White being hired, I think that suddenly the job becomes more attractive because of what Danny White's been able to accomplish at his previous stops. But I, I was surprised that it was <clears throat> Danny White because I, I had talked to somebody who's pretty – decently tied in to what Tennessee, you know, the athletic department there. And I was told that there were two names that it was going to be one of those two. And it was because, you know, this whole stuff with Pruitt and Fulmer had been going on for weeks. It's not like it just kind of came up and there'd been enough back channeling and kind of like, you know, poking and prodding and they had whittled their pull down to two names and Danny White was not either one of the two names. <laughs> so I, I think that was a situation that kind of they, maybe they took a home run. You know, they, they swung for the fences just as a, hey, screw it. Why not? Let's see. Or maybe Danny White approached them. I don't know. But this was not expected, at least to one person that I know who's pretty well tied in. So I was surprised by it. I think it's a great hire because, honestly, if you look if if you look at Danny White and what he's done at previous stops, obviously at Buffalo, he's the guy who brought Lance Leopold to Buffalo. He's the guy that thought outside the box and said, well, this is a different kind of program. We need somebody who can approach it in a different manner, brought him in. And we've seen what that's done for Buffalo. And then he took over at UCF and we know what UCF is. So I think that this is probably if you're a Tennessee fan, I mean, it's not like, it's not like with coaches where as fans or as media, you sit there, you're like, oh, well, this guy's the up and coming coach. This guy's the grand slam coaching hire. You know, nobody pays attention to athletic directors like that. But if you told, if you poll Tennessee fans and you sit there and think Danny White, I have a hard time sitting there thinking anybody's like upset about it. You know what I mean? That's like, hey, I know this guy. He's clearly done good things for UCF. He's done good things at every single stop. He's hired good football coaches. And you know what we could really use here at Tennessee? Somebody who knows how to hire and identify a good football coach. I 
Love it. Uh, of I course, do. UCF. I, I, that is my guy, right? This is, I, I used to get free gear. I had like the UCF national champ shirt that I got sent to from Danny White, who reached out to me, social media, DM me. But aside from the personal feelings for him, think about where UCF was before his tenure. Like they were a good, good American program. And like it or hate it, the co-national champion claim, which he really did spearhead. Like, cause you, you know, sometimes an athletic director might just say, um, you know, football pro, you do what you want. Maybe we'll get, you know, yeah, whatever. He was at the forefront of that. And it made UCF bigger. It gave them a bigger brand. And you could say you didn't like it or whatever, but it's a fact. It helped them in recruiting. It helped them gain some national traction. It got them in the conversation. Those are great things. You mentioned the Lance Leipold uh, hire. How about what he did on the basketball side, bringing in Bobby Hurley and Nate Oates to Buffalo, uh, you know, a long time ago. Brought Scott Frost to US, uh, UCF. Brought in Josh Heupel, who, you know, I know last year was a little up and down, but he's been pretty solid. Kept that program rolling. He's like, it's, it just seems like it makes a lot of sense. He's kind of prepped. He's taken the stepping stone jobs to cut his teeth on both of those athletic departments are in better positions because of the way he left them. I think it makes a ton of sense. I don't know, Chip, like your first, he can help speed up this. I don't know. I think, I think it's things outside of his control. Like, is Mm -hmm. he going to speed up the NCAA? Is he going to speed? Like, I just think there has to be a lot of information that has to unfold, but I do think he's a salesman. You know, I've talked to him on the radio. He sells a program. I think he could sell. Hey, this job isn't as bad as people are making it out to be. Maybe he can sell. This isn't going to be as horrific. Look at what happened to Penn State. They turned it around pretty quick. Look what Matt Rule did at Baylor. Like you can give a sales pitch to a coach who might want to say, I don't want this job. He might be able to, you know, give a pretty strong sales pitch to somebody and make it attractive. When, yeah, and I, go ahead. I also think that like, you know, because you're right, Danny, with the NCAA stuff hanging over, that's going to be something that most coaches want to probably want an answer to before they know if they want to take the job or not. But I do think that with his established relationships, like if it was a Lance Leipold or if it was a Josh Heupel that we're now going to follow him to Knoxville, at least there is that established relationship between them where they could, he could tell them like, listen, you know, yeah, there might be some problems here, but you're my guy. We're going to have stability. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that, you know, so maybe that familiarity would help bring them in. But I do think that if it is a quick hire for a coach, it's going to be somebody who he's already hired or had at previous stops. I don't think that he's going to conduct an entire search and bring in a new name that he doesn't, you know, hasn't worked with yet into this situation until like Danny said, there's more clarity on what they're going to be inheriting and dealing with. Oh, I've got a name. So when Scott Frost left for Nebraska, he uh, had some conversations with Clemson offensive coordinator Tony Elliott. And Tony Elliott has continued, you know, that was even before the national championship of 2018. And Tony Elliott, you know, recently has continued to be someone who is looked at for some of these SEC jobs. He even uh, got a look for the Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator. I know he was linked there. I don't have any reporting that I can point to. But if that's a relationship that's been established and you believe in Tony Elliott as someone that's on the rise, that's someone who I think that uh, you could say, hey, you know, we we had this conversation. I really liked this coach. It didn't end up working out either for one reason or the other, either the Tony Elliott side or the UCF side where you end up hiring Josh Heupel. But that is one previous relationship where I think uh, you could see things speed along where he's, he comes in and he says, um, I've, I've got a relationship with this coach. I think he's going to be someone who can be successful as a head coach at the power five level. His track record is good. The credibility is there. And if you're Tony Elliott and it's Tennessee and you can get one of those Matt rule deals with like a seven year, you know, something that will uh, encompass the, the scandal, but also the chance to be able to guide yourself through it. I, I would say that that is one to look at. Uh, and then if you want to continue down that line, just basically look at the other coaches that he is, uh, he is targeted along the way. Maybe, but my, my thought with Tony Elliott is you're getting paid a lot of money to be Clemson's offensive coordinator. And it's not like Clemson's offense is going to be in a bad situation anytime soon. You're still the offensive coordinator at a playoff team. That's the best team in the ACC. 
And I think jobs are going to continue becoming available that are interested in Tony Elliott over the next few years. So is this Tennessee situation again, without the clarity of what you're inheriting that yes, maybe, you know, Danny White says, I'll give you a seven year deal. And that's awesome. And he goes like that, but it's just, it, if, if I'm taking, if, is this the job I'm finally going to leave Clemson for? You know what I mean? Like, cause we've seen with Clemson assistants, they haven't felt any pressure to leave. They're right. pretty happy where they are. They're making plenty of money. They don't have to just wait for a job thinking, oh man, this is my shot. I got to take it now. Now, Tennessee is an attractive gig, depending on what the situation is that you're inheriting. So but that situation maybe, could also be da- working with Danny White, right? Yeah. Like if you've got yeah. confidence in him as your boss and that he's going to be there for a while and you're going to have that opportunity, um, I just, I'm probably only jumping, I'm probably rushing uh, and overstepping my expectations just because I had settled into this, like Tennessee's going to be terrible. They're going to be a dumpster fire. You know, we're going to have that team is going to be interim coached by uh, Kevin Steele and they're going to go three and nine next year. And listen, even Tony Elliott or another coach might go three and nine, but I do think that you're in a very different position, at least in terms of how long it takes you to be able to put the pieces back together if you have a full-time head coach rather than prolonging that search. I also, I, 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 I can't say for sure. I, I just, I hope Danny White takes the approach because like, you know, Tennessee's had a lot of players that are entering the transfer portal in the last, you know, week or whatever. And it's, it's all, all the good right. ones too. Yeah. yeah. And I hope that, he doesn't fall into the trap. Maybe if there's pressure from outside forces to like, Hey, we need to get somebody in quickly who can convince all these kids to come back. Cause I'm, if I'm taking over this Tennessee job, it's like I said on the show the other day, I I'm tearing this thing down to the, to the studs and rebuilding it. Uh, It sucks. Yeah. Okay. These kids are leaving. They're talented kids. It'd be great if we could have them back and maybe go six and six next year, but I'm not trying to go six and six. It's going to hurt for a couple seasons probably. And I'm going to try to build this into a situation where we're not just going to bowl games and winning eight games and getting top 25 rankings. I'm trying to build something that can compete with Georgia and Florida, which is difficult to do, but I don't think it's impossible with the right people. And I think Danny White is a very good start as far as finding the right people. Don't you think the kind of Matt rule bail, and I know it's different and I know it was way more controversial and way more serious uh, as far as the impact, you know, what we were dealing with the Baylor, but the Matt rule model of you talk about a bad situation. I I covered his first game. They lost to Liberty and it was one of the biggest upsets in the history of college football until later that afternoon. There was like a, I forget Nevada was playing like a FCS, but they got beat somebody else, Mm -hmm. but that's a side story. But one and 11, the first year, seven and six, second year, and then 11 and three. Like, I think that's kind that, and that would be an incredible best case scenario. I think for Tennessee, but I totally agree with you guys. I think there's, you know, we talk, we use that term culture all the time. It's probably overused, but this does need kind of a fresh start. Um, you know, ever since you know, it's been 12 years of this, since Lane Kiffin took over and left after a year, after he was talking all that trash from Dooley's orange pants to Butch Jones, who had it going, but then he had the garbage can to this Jeremy. It's just been a mess. And it does feel like a complete overhaul is really something that I would be excited about if I was a Tennessee fan. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's going to be brutal. Yes, it's going to take some time. But you have to have a long-term vision and say, look, at Baylor is bad. And Penn State's another pretty good example. Like, it's going to be rough, but it doesn't mean we're done. It doesn't mean we're going to be gone for 10 years. It's going to be a rough, bumpy road for a couple years. But you can be back competitive if you go about it the right way. And I think this is the start to doing it the right way. Larry Scott uh, announced that he will be parting ways with the Pac-12. I'm again in the same way, Tom, that you talked about how like the athletic director search is a very inside baseball thing. Like nobody really is is starting long message board threads about AD searches. Uh, you know, the, even more so for the conference commissioner world. But I figured that aside from you know, maybe a, a commentary on how, how I've got seven Pac-12 channels in high definition and most of the West Coast doesn't even have a single one except maybe in standard definition, which who knows? And I guess hey. yeah, what's what's his legacy? Like, what's the thought? Like, do you think that um, 
do you think that the Pac-12, with by just by changing a commissioner, is going to be able to find its way to at least having a little bit more cohesion? I would say that the infighting, where it seemed like schools were were forming factions and upset with the league office and the way that things had sort of broken down at that level is probably what I can look at and say, well, if they can at least all get on the same page, then maybe that can help uh, the league not hurt itself. Because as, as Tom Fernelli has said many times on this podcast, every conference does what's best for itself, except for the Pac-12, which always does what's worst for itself. I, I often sometimes worry that I'm being way too harsh on Larry Scott and his tenure at the Pac-12 because it could have gone a lot differently. Like they were close to getting Texas, Oklahoma and going, you know, to the super 16 team conference. And had that happened, maybe things go a lot differently as far as the Pac-12 network and all that stuff. But that didn't work. And it's been a dumpster fire ever since like you you just brought up some of it just i don't think the pac-12 is a power five conference in name only if we're being honest and larry scott has kind of steered it in that direction because we have seen since larry scott took over that conference at pretty much like the precipice of the conference realignment era it's become clearer and clearer that football dominates college athletics if you're not strong in football you could have all the volleyball swimming all the olympic sport you know titles that you have in the pac-12 has a lot of them and i'm not saying they don't mean anything i'm just saying they don't do much for you you know what i'm saying as far as revenue as far as money for your schools and for your programs football needs to be at the top of the list. And I think that under Larry Scott, the PAC 12 did not put enough attention into making sure that it's football powers in particular were put in good positions, like how many times they would force USC to play at, you know, on a Friday, on a short week on the road when it was, you know, in, in a big game, because I think that there was too much focus on the television aspect of it. Whereas like, Oh, we have to make sure that we're getting our game seen by people seen by the selection committee. So that way we have a chance to get to the playoffs. So that's why they end up playing games at 9 a.m. on Saturdays and doing it intentionally, not just because games were postponed due to COVID and had to be rescheduled or scheduled late. And it's just been dumb decision after dumb decision, which is thinking, got to get we got to get the selection committee to see us play, not about putting our players in the best position to succeed and win and earn a playoff spot. Because here's the thing. If USC is going 11 and 0 and 12 and 0 and Oregon's going 11 and 0 or 12 and 0 or Washington or whoever Utah was undefeated a couple of years ago Utah was in the playoff conversation then it lost it didn't matter what time it was playing all that mattered was that it was winning and that's where I think the next commissioner has to come in and put that kind of focus on football not saying forget everything else cuz you're great at all the other things and there's plenty to be proud of with all of that it's just you need to focus more on football you need to put more effort into football and you need to not worry about like larry scott you talk about it chip how you've got the hd like 70 different pac-12 networks california doesn't and larry scott would bring up how you know the game their their olympic sports are highly viewed in china who the hell cares yeah, I always used to joke that he was so focused on international expansion of Pac-12 sports. I was like, dude, are you going to go to the moon? Are we going to have the mm-hmm. Pac-12 title game in space? Is that is that going to be the great accomplishment of uh, of this tenure? And I understand that part of that is just the fact that, like, I mean, we we work in this industry. We, we know the numbers. Pac-12 stuff, the fan bases and alumni bases a aren't quite the size of what we see within the big 10 and the sec and the passion isn't nearly the same as what we see in the big 10 the acc the sec and the big 12 there are plenty of pac-12 fans it's just they aren't of the magnitude of the other conferences so i understand a desire there to say well we need to maybe break into other markets and sell our product to other people to bring in customers to help bring money in it's just I think that you should focus on the people you do have first before you try to expand and bring new people in. And I think that the Pac-12 and Larry Scott in particular might have lost sight of that. And I think that whoever comes in, 
I mean, I don't know if the Pac-12 is in a situation where it can solve the problems. It might just be the new reality for the Pac-12 in that you're never going to have the same kind of fan bases that you have on the East and in the South and in the Midwest as you do on the West Coast. It's, maybe that's just never going to happen. And maybe you're never really going to be able to build football powerhouses because of it. So there's no guarantee that getting rid of Larry Scott and bringing in somebody who might be extremely qualified is going to just suddenly salvage the Pac-12 and bring it back. But I do think that this is a good step for the conference in that it increases the likelihood of that happening because I just don't think Larry Scott was very good at his job and he got paid a lot of money and he got paid more money than other conference commissioners. And you also read if you, like you cover like Larry Wilner's done a job like covering all this for years. John, how Wilner. much? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It's John, just how much that the conference pays for its office space in San Francisco. It's like, you don't need to have all that crap. You could just have, you know, find, find a cheap office. Stop spending all that money on stuff that doesn't matter. That money could be going to your football programs. You know what I mean? So it's just figure out where the money comes from and how to get the most, most, literally bang for your buck on that to improve your football programs, to improve the conference. And just, again, like you said, there, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of unity, but a lot of that was also the fact that like a lot of the athletic directors that were in charge of these schools, when Larry Scott was chosen to be the commissioner, aren't there anymore. Like, I think there's two or three left from the time that Larry Scott was chosen to be the commissioner originally. So it's a lot of new faces who are going to want somebody in. And I do think, too, that with the new TV deal coming up for the Pac-12 in the next couple of years, seeing how well Larry Scott handled the previous TV deals, it was like, all right, we, we need to do this now because we need to have somebody in and ready and capable of putting us in a position to succeed. Totally agree. All points. The broadcast rights deal that's up is massive. I think that's clearly why this was done before that, because they realized the importance of it. They realized how irrelevant they've been made. Uh, I talked to Jeff Goodman this morning on my radio show, who was at ESPN now at stadium. And he, he put it way more blunt. He was like, he sucked. <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's essentially what he was. And you like for a reporter or somebody who has like, did not mince words, but I wouldn't push back. Like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't push back at all. I mean, it's been an absolute disaster. Uh, yeah, but they crushed it in water polo. But when you look at big, so I, I think it's more interesting to discuss it from an angle of relevance, right? Cause it does feel like the PAC 12 is irrelevant. And it's one of the main reasons, like a lot of people are kind of all on board with expansion and m making it a requirement. Hey, automatic qualify, which I, for the life of me, I'll never understand why Larry Scott wasn't pounding the table saying conference champions should be in, we should be expanding or, it, you know, just something making the case for we're getting screwed here, but he never did. Like, I remember the first year they were left out, forget who it was. I forget which year it was. And he was like, well, it's the system and you know, it's fair and they're going to make the four best teams and the committee is going to decide. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why aren't you, why aren't you making the case for your teams? And it drove me nuts. I think the more interesting discussion is like, because I've been lucky enough, you know, in this business to cover games. So I've been to Corvallis, you know, I've been to Eugene. I've called a Stanford game on a Friday night, which wasn't that great a crowd. But I've been to Corvallis when it was a good crowd. Like they do have some a lovely little fans. town. Yeah, it's it's they do have fans. I think their fans get a bad knock. Are they SEC fans? No, but the ACC was long known for a basketball conference, right? There's not a rich tradition at Wake Forest. You know, there's not, you know, you know there's other teams around and there's individual pockets where you don't have rich tradition. I don't think they're that far away if they can get the TV rights deal figured out, get a decent package where it's at least fair and kind of they're comparative there. That are we that far away from, you know, a USC run where or an Oregon run where they get hot and they go undefeated and they find the right quarterback and they're in the playoff. And man, if they won a playoff and they won a championship, that it could feel kind of like the ACC because, man, it feels good to have Clemson in the ACC. But if they weren't there, and I'm talking pre-Notre Dame being in there, what's left? Like, you could, we could be having the same types of conversations about the ACC being just a basketball conference with Florida State being down, Miami being down, Virginia Tech being down. I mean, there's – We did like, so I, through the like, BCS era. It was like they were 2-13 yeah. and 13 in BCS games and two Florida State yes. wins is all they could hang their hat on. Exactly. So – 
Like it feels like the Pac-12 is miles away and they're irrelevant, but I don't think it would take that much to come back. Now they do have a problem. I don't think it's a quick fix outside of USC and Oregon because when you see more and more, like look at Alabama's roster, look at Ohio State's roster, look at Clemson, you know, DJ Uyungle is a perfect example. You know, called up Clemson and was like, I'm coming to you. Didn't even have to recruit him. He's like, I want to go play for the best. That, that, that would have been USC's guy. 10 years ago, they've got to get back to that where they can keep their own talent in house in the conference. Cause they do have some gems. I mean, what Herm Edwards is building at Arizona state and, you know, Washington could be a powerhouse. They have been um, USC, like they, they UCLA, like they, they, they have tradition there. Get it. It's tough. You know, it's, you know, Hey, there's a lot of distractions in LA and, you know, but like you could get back. So I don't, I don't think it's that bad, but if we do go super, super conferences and it happened this offseason, the Pac-12 is probably the one that's dissolving currently. But it wasn't that long ago that the Big 12 or the ACC were in jeopardy too, just kind of the way it flows. Yeah, and I think like it's it all comes down to like how good your teams are. Like like I said, it's you can worry about what time you need to be playing so you get in like prime time national broadcast spots, but if your teams are winning and they're playing important games, People will watch them. Oregon won. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Oregon won one playoff game in the very first year of the college football playoff, lost to Ohio State in the national championship. That was the 2014 season. Washington made the college football playoff in 2016, got blown out, or not blown out, but dominated at least in the semifinal, and they have not had a college football playoff appearance since. It is just two, and they only have one singular win. No, I have no insider information. We work for CBS. Um, they just lost the SEC, right? They're going to lose the SEC. CBS is. The Pac-12 is out. The CBS needs some presence in Power 5 college football. Rick Neuheisel is a commentator on CBS, played in the Pac-12, coached at several stops in the Pac-12. Like, I think it would. I, I think Rick Neuheisel will be a great candidate for commissioner of the Pac-12. Football experience. He's got contacts in the broadcasting industry. Being it, he's a lawyer. He's a he's a bright guy. I don't know. I just kind of threw that name out there. I and I I've worked with Rick a lot. We've done some shows together. Uh, he's a great guy. I don't even know if he wants it, but I think and he, I know he doesn't have the business acumen that you may want, but you can hire some people to do that. I don't know. Oh, no. Give me, give me Pac 12 Media Day opening statement with the guitar. (laughs) I want to hear, I want to hear the state of the conference done in song format. Uh, All right. You mentioned the ACC. It got a, got a couple Knowles questions to kick off our mailbag here. Uh, The first one comes from Dev. Hey guys, I absolutely love the podcast and all the conversation and banter that comes with it. As an FSU fan, love you, Danny. It is absolutely killing me that you guys have never mentioned that a national championship winning quarterback transferred to Florida State. Do you think McKenzie Milton can be a top three quarterback in the ACC? And what do you think is the most impactful player transfer ever? First of all, we have discussed this, right? (laughs) We had a mention on here. We didn't dive deep into it, but we definitely have discussed it on the pod. Um, the question is, what was the top three? I make sure. I, what's that? Top three, which is okay. So top three is a is a challenge because immediately I can say uh, DJ Uyunglele, Sam Howell, Derek King. Mm-hmm. That's that's tough. That's tough to crack. It's tough to crack. Derek King does have an injury he's coming off of, but I, mean, I would but say. But you don't want to hang your hat on that, like McKinsey. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. Yeah, you know who won. else has an injury he's coming <laughs> off of? That was too easy. I like so I laid that up for you. <laughs> I'll say, and did you guys see? McKenzie Milton got cleared from his doctor to like full go spring mm-hmm. practice, which is awesome. It's yeah. such a great story. Even with that, I'm still kind of a little bit nervous. I'm like, all right, well, where, what does this mean? But I was nervous about Alex Smith. You asked people but preseason. I did a hit on HQ and I said, hey, I think Alex Smith could take Dwayne Haskins' job. And I had people saying, you are crazy. The guy almost had 37 surgeries or how many surgeries he had. No way he comes back. So we've seen, we've seen a similar story before. Um, if he's healthy, he can ball. I don't know if I'd go as far as top three. I think that would be an incredible surprise to this to this to the season for Florida State. 
But if you get the quarterback that you did have in 2017, he kind of reminded me a little bit of a baby Baker Mayfield. Like he had like a lot of confidence. He took a lot of risks down the field, but they were always good risks. He can run around enough to make you plays. Does that change? I don't know. But if you get that version, 37 touchdowns, nine interceptions, you know, went against Auburn, went against everybody, watch out. Like, I, and I'm not, again, Florida State's not knocking Clemson down, but they'll be a whole heck of a lot more competitive than they were against Miami, against everybody in the last couple of years. So I think, and I think from a leadership perspective too, where there's been really a void on the offensive side of the ball. James Blackman was a night. I think he was a leader, but if you're getting inconsistent play and you're getting benched, it's hard to be the leader. I think you'll get more consistent play and just think about the type of character that's going to walk in there with the adversity he's faced. Like when you're, when you're at practice and you know, it's, it's, you know, the last you've had a two and a half hour practice and the coaches want you to run some gassers and you're thinking about complaining. What's it going to mean when Mackenzie Milton says, Hey, I wasn't able to do this a year ago. Like, let's go. Like, there's an aspect there that I'm excited about from a leadership, you know, from the players level. It's one thing the coaches can try to inspire you and coach you up. From from players' perspective, I think it's going to be – I think it's a really, really exciting opportunity for Mackenzie Milton. And I, I would almost be willing to say if he's healthy, like, who else is going to start? Mm-hmm. So I would say he's going to win the starting job, and then, you know, there's some talent around him. Yeah, I, I think that obviously if you're Florida State and you're Florida State fans, there's plenty of reason to be excited about this news. It's just you should temper the expectations a little bit just because, like you were saying, Danny, he's been through a lot. But it's like he's going he's gonna to be able to practice this spring, which is awesome. And then he'll be, you know, he'll be ready to go in the fall. But we have to remember he hasn't played in two years and he suffered a serious injury. So you can't sit there and just expect that he's going to come back and be the same type of player he was at UCF for those two seasons when he was, you know, magnificent. He's, but he's definitely, I think, as long as he's healthy and capable of playing, I feel like he's a, certainly an upgrade to what Florida State has had at the QB position the last few years. And I think that helps push you forward. And I think that also that offense that he played in at UCF is somewhat similar to the kind of offense that Mike Norvell was running at Memphis and would like to be running with Florida state. So I think that that kind of familiarity will help the program kind of get going in the, in the right direction and get going into where it gets back to competing for division titles and trying to compete with Clemson for the ACC. So it's plenty to be excited about. It's just, if I'm a Florida state fan, I'm not expecting Mackenzie Milton to just show up and Hey, we're going 10 and two, you know what I've seen? Like top three in the, in the conference. Cause I think that you mentioned chip, you know, Howell King and DJ are three very good quarterbacks. So it's going to be really difficult for anybody to crack that top three in the ACC, let alone somebody who hasn't played in two years and is coming off a major injury. And I forgot the uh, that last line of the question. I'd ha- I've had this in the mailbag for a little bit. We weren't able to to get to it in a previous one, but uh, he it was uh, what is the most impactful player transfer ever? And that's that's a really uh, like I'm a pre- Is it Burrow? Is it just too easy to be like here, Joe Burrow, take it and run? I mean. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but it, it's easy, but it might be easy for a reason. It's uh, I'm trying to think of other transfers. Kyler Baker. I mean, we just look at the Heisman Trophy Jalen list Hurts. and we find a trans- yeah. it's like transfer, transfer, transfer. Justin Fields. Like, I I guess we give it to Burrow, but I, because I, he's the only one of them that won the national championship. championship. Yeah. What about and I know transfers have happened for a long time and there have been transfers who have had some success. But what about Russell Wilson, who really kind of kicked off this? Mm-hmm oh, you can transfer and be a stud at another school. Like he was good at NC State and then might have been even better at Wisconsin. Like I, I think that's kind of like and he deserves some sort of spot in this list just for kind of kicking it off. But I think Burrow's the slam dunk. There's also a college football historian somewhere who's like kicking themselves over somebody in the 70s who transferred and like... What about Jeff George? <laughs> like, come on. Uh, 
Cover three, fa- cover three, fam. We've reached that point in the year where there's a lot, and I mean a lot of sports going on at once. We've got NBA, we got college hoops, we got hockey. Not to mention the NFL playoffs and golf, which is why we wanted to tell you about the CBS Sports app and how it's not just the best scoring app for your phone, but it's also where you get breaking news alerts, stories like by us that that we've written, standings, schedules, team pages, and all the sports digital stuff that you're used to and of course if a game is airing on cbs as we've told you so many times that means it is available streaming for free on the cbs sports app again you see it on big cbs got a lot of screens got a lot of streams well the cbs sports app has that game available for free it's easy download it Redownload it if it's got a little cloud logo next to it because we've just updated. It is shiny, it is fancy, it is new, and we know that you want to get the best sports digital content around. We also love those five-star ratings, so don't hesitate to drop one on the CBS Sports app. If you do, tweet us at Cover 3 Podcast a screenshot of you giving a five-star rating to the CBS Sports app along with a mailbag question, and we will use it for an upcoming episode of the mailbag. Thank you, Cover 3 fam, and we are going to be back to the show right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. Um, there is uh, there's, there's a little bit of a, an interesting uh, look at like you know, we've we've got the assistant coaching carousel has been turning, and and obviously when you, when you've got buyouts, you've got some uh, you know some some options to be able to kick it. This question comes from uh, Party of Four. The fearsome foursome is unrivaled in the world's of podcast. Narrow it down to sports or even football, and they're Alabama insight, chemistry, humor, integrity, and principles. And Danny, great add to the podcast. It's not. It's not an is Texas back debate. It's been decided. Speaking of Texas, what's next for Tom Herman? First of all, thank you for kissing our ass. Right? <laughs> Always. <laughs> Definitely uh, front of the line for the mailbag questions. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if I'm Tom Herman, I, I know that there's, some interest on Tennessee's fan base part in bringing him in. And I I think that would be a good hire, but if I'm Tom Herman, I don't know if I'm in a rush. If I'm Tom Herman, maybe obviously the Alabama OC jobs, been taken by Bill O'Brien now. So that's not available. I I don't know. I don't know if Tom Herman wants a coordinator job or if he just wants to take a year off and then get back in the market next year, or maybe he, you know, flirts with NFL gigs. Hmm. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. It'd be interesting. And I, it is more seamless now. I mean, the game has changed. College, I mean, the NFL was stealing college concepts, which historically hadn't taken place for the last decade. We've seen a shift there. I think he's going to take a year off. Like, why not just 
take a deep breath. If he wants to do TV, somebody would throw him on there. If he even wanted to do that, uh, you keep your name relevant and then you kind of, you know, survey the landscape and maybe it's two years in TV. If you don't like the right job. Cause I like, you can criticize his tenure at Texas. He still was pretty good. Yeah. You know, it wasn't good enough for Texas. And, it, and then like, let's see how Sark does. If Sark doesn't crush it, like that almost makes Tom Herman look more attractive. So I would think he will. I don't think Tennessee goes that direction. So I think he'll probably take a year off and kind of see what happens. Yeah. Cause I mean, just as like, if, if you think about that Texas job, like if, if you put yourself in Tom Herman's situation and you had to, you had to do everything that you had to do to be the Texas coach for the last four or five years. And now you're fired. It's like, I feel like my two options after dealing with all that would be like, oh, I need time off or I'm getting the hell out of college. <laughs> you Ooh, know I, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the other thing. Cause like with the Tennessee job, and this was obviously before the Danny White hire, and we'll see how that goes now. It's just, I feel like if I was to leave Texas for Tennessee, I'd pretty much just be walking into the same exact situation, just a different shade of orange. So I don't know how much interest Tom Herman would have in the Tennessee job at this point either. So I, I expect that unless something really good and interesting comes along unexpectedly, he's probably going to take a year off or again, maybe if an NFL opportunity arises, he might be interested in taking that. The, adv- the advantage of taking the year off is that you go into the next football season just kind of dangling out there. So anybody who didn't make a move on their coach or anybody who's on the hot seat, like you get to kind of sit back and say, okay, um, you know, what's the, like what, what are some of the, the coaches who got commitments from athletic directors or that we think might be going into next season with a little bit of a little bit of pressure to, to get things done? You know, would you like Tom Herman is not a, uh, you know, I guess not, I wouldn't say cultural, but you know, he's his it's Texas, it's Iowa state, it's Houston. Uh, he was of course, Ohio state with urban Meyer, you know, and you would try to put him in the big 12 landscape. I mean, would he go Stanford? replace Matt Campbell after Matt Campbell leaves? Maybe I would, I, I think he's, he has, he's coached at Iowa state before, right? Yeah. He was the yeah, offensive so, coordinator there for three seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's definitely a connection there. I, I think that the big 10 would make sense for him. The big 12, I think even the ACC, like if, if, you know, like Virginia tech came open, I think Tom Herman is somebody that could be considered for that job. I think there are plenty of gigs that would be interested in Tom Herman if they have an opening next year. Cause like you said, he didn't, win as much at Texas as you wanted him to win, but it's not like he was an outright failure there. And a lot of the reasons for his dismissal or some of the reason for his dismissal wasn't just the win loss record. It was the off the field stuff. It was the eyes of Texas stuff and all that, you know, like they, they did the, the boosters and a lot of people in charge didn't really appreciate the way he handled that situation. So as far as football coaching goes, I think that he's still going to be pretty attractive to plenty of jobs if he just sits out and waits. And especially because, you know, if if you're not coaching, you're not losing either. <laughs> true. Very true. Uh, all right. This next question comes from Chris. And uh, and and if we can, um, Chris, if you want to tweet at us or tweet at me or we'll uh, we'll try and get a part of this suggestion taken care of or at least this request. Love the pod, guys. I hated the Danny edition, but he's grown on me now, and I just need him to unblock me on Twitter, LOL. (laughs) With that said, so tweet it, the Cover 3 podcast, uh, Tom Fernelli, uh, Chip Patterson, and we'll uh, we'll pass along your account uh, if if, if Danny likes the question. Obviously, Nick Saban is the greatest of all time, and what he's done is just amazing and probably won't be done, at least in my lifetime. A lot of talk about how the sport is being ruined by only four teams in the playoff, but a case could be made that Nick Saban is actually ruining the sport. I know we had programs that have had runs before, like the 90s FSU, Pete Carroll's USC days, Nebraska back with Osborne, but they weren't winning six out of 12 titles. Would the playoffs be more exciting if he was retired? While Dabo is great, he has shown to be way more beatable than Saban. I don't think he's ruining the sport. I no. think he pushes the pace. I think that he raises the bar. 
I think that college football coaching, like a lot of industries, does have uh, a a big bloated middle that is more than happy to be complacent, to show up, to coach ball, to get their paycheck, to go home. And then if, if I get fired, I get fired. I go get another job. I show up, I coach ball. It, it is like a, it, it is, it, I guess in, endearing or at least like part of the the culture that you're just yep we just go to work every day but Nick Saban's obsessive approach to improving every aspect of the entire operation always reevaluating always trying to put in new wrinkles I, I think that that um, that makes Alabama the standard and as he continues to push the standard forward that is only going to make everyone better without Nick Saban's um, then everyone would just be doing the same copycat stuff every single year in, year out. College football would be more boring. And, uh, and I think that he, he makes the sport a higher quality of football and he makes uh, organizationally college football better. Agreed. <laughs> I just, I, uh, he's not ruining the sport. Did Tiger Woods ruin the PGA tour? No, no, no. Uh, he makes it better. I mean, I, I think he, ra- he raises the bar of what everyone's trying to do. I do get the question because are the same teams over and over, is it bad? And, you know, the ratings were down this year, which I think probably had more to do with COVID and people didn't get as attracted and weren't used to the schedule and it threw people off. I mean, Nick Saban's the one who warned everybody, he said the playoff era is going to ruin college football. Not It wasn't him. How about this trend, though? You know who should be the biggest Nick Saban fan? I do think it's problematic. Like, I do think they need a nemesis. They need a Phil Mickelson who's at least close. And they've kind of had it somewhat in Clemson. Right. You know, now maybe Ohio State. And, but, like, what Tiger Woods did for salaries, like, I'm just looking at this list. So, Nick Saban, highest coach, uh, highest paid coach in college football. Second most, LSU. Ed Ogeron, what did he do? He beat Nick Saban. Here you go. Here you go, coach. Here, who's three? Dabo. What did he do? Beat Nick Saban. Here you go. Jimbo Fisher, you know, was able to compete with him, won a national championship. I know there's not the correlation, but he was a member of Jimbo's staff. Kirby Smart, a Nick Saban protege. Gus Malzahn beat Nick Saban a few times. Like, he's had an impact on the game without question that goes far beyond his GOAT status as the greatest coach of all time. So... I, I, to answer the question, I don't think he's ruining the game. I think the sport has issues they need to address, but Nick Saban isn't one of them. All right. And uh, this final question comes from Twitter, which, again, if you follow us on the Cover 3 podcast, you can get uh, you can get another option when we solicit for questions. And I will say that this comes from Irish Zibby. So we can assume all of the... Uh, Tom Zibikowski? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, was Trevor Lawrence's college career a letdown? He was great, but he didn't win many awards or a Heisman. I like him a lot, but thought we would see more from him. Strong disagree. He won a national championship and he only lost like three games. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you're Trevor Lawrence personally, you could say there was somewhat of a letdown by the fact that you never won the Heisman, which is an individual award. But I think if you look at the career as a whole, hard to say let down with all the games he won, the national titles he won. And there are, if, if Trevor Lawrence's career is a letdown, very few quarterbacks have had good careers, <laughs> you know, like have had fulfilling careers. This is such, this is such a life lesson. Like, cause you know, and you know what the lesson is, what? Like, don't blow your load on the first try. Like, don't go out there and just knock them dead with your first year. 15 and 0, just, national yeah, championship. Like, yeah. Like, if you flip flopped his career and had this year was his freshman year. <laughs> oh, the greatest success story middle. of all time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> greatest college quarterback of all time. 90 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. Like, are you kidding me? But I, I, I like, I can kind of see where it's the ultimate, like, what have you done for me lately at mindset? You know, I mean, go out to, go talk to Kevin Sumlin who, you know, had Johnny Manziel and lights it up 11 wins, knocks off Alabama. And then Texas A&M fans are like, we're not getting this every year. See ya. It's just, it's, 
I mean, it's a dumb question, to be honest with you. I love you, but it's a dumb question. Like Ron Paulus at Notre Dame was a letdown, right? I mean, that's when you come in with <laughs> yes. you know these expectations of, because I yeah, everybody thought Trevor Lawrence was going to be good. He was good. He was great. Great college quarterback. Just because he didn't win two Heismans and three national championships doesn't mean it was a letdown. Well, individual I, awards shouldn't be the, the like, what you say <laughs> for success. And yeah. Freshman year, you know who won the ACC Player of the Year? Travis Etienne, his teammate. Sophomore year, you know who won ACC Player of the Year? Travis Etienne, his teammate. You know who won it his junior year? Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he. I, I like the way that you said if you flip it because so let's say if his freshman year he loses in the semifinals to Ohio State, then sophomore year he loses in the national championship game. And then junior after avenging the loss to Ohio after State, avenging the, the loss to Ohio State, then junior year goes undefeated and then lights up Notre Dame and Alabama. Then we are talking about him as one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. That's a very, very good uh, bit of perspective. And I said he only lost three or four games as a starter. Correction, he only lost two games. As a starter, he lost to LSU in the national championship and he lost to Ohio State in the college football playoff semifinal 34 and two as a starter, uh, three time national champion. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope my career is as disappointing as Trevor Lawrence's. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Nah, Trevor's a great and uh, the lack of Heisman trophies uh, and individual awards should not be anything else. By the way, that's why I was awful in the first couple episodes of Cover 3. People are bashing me. One-star reviews. You set the bar really low, and then hopefully you gradually get a little bit better to now we're finding our groove and people are coming around. Let's go. Let's go. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We'll be back next Monday. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.